Welcome to the Line Life Podcast, produced by Transmission and Distribution World and Utility Products. We're bringing you stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. The May 2022 episode shines a spotlight on safety and training for linemen. It features an interview with field editor Amy Fishbach and Maximo Fuentes, owner of Fuentes Consulting LLC and a former supervisor for the Sacramento Municipal Utility District. After competing in the International Lineman's Rodeo as a lineman, Fuentes is now consulting with other utilities on how to improve their hurtman rescue training for their field workforce. Hey, I am Maximo Fuentes. I am the owner of Fuentes Consulting, LLC. Hello and welcome to the May 2022 Line Life Podcast. My name is Amy Fishbach and I am the field editor for Transmission and Distribution World Magazine. Today I'm talking with Maximo Fuentes, owner of Fuentes Consulting LLC and a former journeyman lineman and supervisor for Sacramento Municipal Utility District. While at SMUD, Max and his team won the journeyman division of the International Lineman's Rodeo twice. Now as a consultant, Max works with other utilities on how to train their field workforce. For example, several utilities contracted him to evaluate Hurtman Rescue Training of the utilities line workers using the pull top and bucket methods. In our May 2022 Electric Utility Operations section, we are featuring an article written by Max about how utilities can more effectively train their line workers on Hurtman Rescue. Max, thanks for joining us today. To begin, can you describe your career in the line trade? I started in the transmission and distribution utility industry in 1984. I was hired by the Sacramento Municipal Utility District as a pre-apprentice. And so from 84 to 88 was basically one year as a pre-apprentice or a groundman and three years in my apprenticeship. I made journeyman lineman in August of 1988. In 1990, I was promoted to line foreman and I did that for six years. And then I left and relocated up into Idaho because we were doing the quality of life thing with the family. And I was working at Northwest Lineman College for a while, came back to Sacramento and uh, started another business, a post-secondary vocational trade school for linemen. Um, That really didn't get off the ground real well. So I went back to SMUD, came back as a lineman. And uh, I kind of bumped around, made my way through the entire pro- I went to, uh, I was a maintenance planner, uh, an inspector, and then I was the line supervisor for safety and training uh, for the T&D department. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I moved over. I took over meter and services. And then I went over and I did, uh, my final uh, title was uh, Grid Assets Line Supervisor Business Operation. but I was doing asset management, and then I had scheduled all of the, uh, the crews and staffed them with their personnel on their routine and uh, pre-planned and emergency work. So, so wide scope. <clears throat> Wonderful. And for um, TND World, you have written articles for us about safety, and you wrote a book about leadership in the line trade. Can you talk about how safety has evolved in the line trade from when you first started to today? And what are some advancements that you have seen as far as safety and what do you think still needs so to be? It's kind of a, a, a paradox for me. And the reason is because of the, the, the changing work methods. 
So when I came through, we did a lot of 4KB work on the pole. And, and a lot of that, uh, that work really emphasized not making contact with the energized conductor while you're standing on basically a ground. And we weren't using rubber sleeves. We were just in, you know, our, uh, our rubber gloves. And so there was a lot of the, uh, the trade being passed down over the years from linemen from years ago. It really hadn't changed from when I was doing uh, live line work in gloves on the pole since the 20s or the 30s. You know, the, we had better equipment. We had more equipment but um, in the previous generations of linemen. But I really believe that the, the on-the-job training and at my utility, we had very, very few electrical contacts that resulted in catastrophic events. And we were rubber gloving all the time. Um, we had two bucket trucks when I started. And, and so we were very much out here in the West. It was a very much a climbing uh, culture and utility. <clears throat> what I've seen over the years, which has been good, is, you know, the, our district uh, and in here in the West Coast, we started moving towards more aerial lift devices, which prolonged the, the life of the lineman, the working life, because climbing poles and working in an elevated position for years and years, it does take a toll on your body. And so I think, uh, you know, one of our troubleshooters said basically that by going to a bucket truck as opposed to climbing, he said he probably increased his work life by five to 10 years. Wow. Just so the advent of technology has really helped. Um, I think that, you know, when I came through, we never learned OSHA at, at, uh, in Sacramento because we were governed by, by state approved uh, plans that OSHA had approved. We also had our own internal regulations and policies and procedures. So we started to migrate a little bit more towards what is the Fed OSHA? How does it align with the state approved OSHA? The, you know, the industrial relations uh, through the California Public Utilities Commission. Anyway, what I've seen evolve is um, we have a, a broader uh, and a more um, scheduled uh, refresher training. So we would do bundled training um, probably in the early 2000s to the mid 2000s at, at my company. We did a lot more of the bundle training. We would take guys out of the field for a week. And so that's when you went through your your critical infrastructure protection, hurt man rescue, first aid CPR, all of the all of the things, environmental health and safety. Uh, so it was it was kind of a combination. Um, and so that was our annual refresher training. So I think that there was an improvement there. Um, also, the technology has gotten so much better. I, literally, I can tell you when I started in this industry, I had no idea what I was getting into. My first rain gear was a plastic bag that a lineman handed me in the middle of a storm <laughs> with, the, with the hole cut out and, and the arms and the head. And I sat there and ran a hand line in a plastic bag, garbage bag. You're kidding, and, Max. That's crazy. I am not kidding. As a matter of fact, uh, we had no rules on overtime. I mean, you could work 30, 40, 50 hours in a row. There was no mandatory rest period. Well, there was rest periods, but there was no mandatory. You can only work a certain amount of hours. So what I've seen is between the union and the, and the, and the, and the industry and the companies is that, you know, they started to realize, look, how, are you, how long are you going to work these guys? Yeah. 
and then we had foremen that would continue to work and work and work and, and push off our not only the rest periods but our meals. So you had to codify that. Say, look, you do a meal every four or five hours. You know, as soon as the clock starts after you leave the last meal, or, or you know, whatever the MOU is. So what I saw was a little bit more um, in my end of the world was a little bit more consolidation and codification of the, the the memorandum of understanding between the union and and the and the utility, which was good because now we weren't working people along well. We also had fatigue issues. We had people having traffic accidents going home after putting in an ungodly amount of hours with no rest. Sure. And then what I saw at our own company is we created an, uh, an actual sleeping area. The guys come in, hey, if you're tired, go right down. We created a bunk, an area down by our, uh, our medical facilities. So I saw a lot more um, uh, you know, employee focus on the safety. Uh, the equipment is better. It's, you know, when I came through, we were using hand tools and, and, and bracing bits and, and hand saws and, and chisels. And I'm sure, it, you know, it's still used in the industry, but, but now you have battery operated, you, you have, uh, you know, a higher quality of tool that makes, makes the job easier to do. So yeah, there's, there's been an evolution in the tools in uh, some of the work methods. Um, so yeah, I'm seeing an improvement. What I'm not seeing is uh, enough training. And I can tell you just the cases that I get as an expert witness, it makes me scratch my head when I say, why would that lineman do that? Why would the company allow him to rubber glove by himself? You know, did you not, did you not read the, uh, the documentation that you signed that you'll read that 300 page book of, you know, your health and, and safety manual? Well, I know what happens. You know, when someone hands you a book that's 300 pages, are you going to read the whole thing? So what I'm seeing is there's some really positive things, but I'm also seeing a lot of times where the guys aren't really trained that well. Yeah. And, and what people don't seem to understand is a contractor hires uh, an apprentice or a lineman out of the hall, and then they put them on a job and they think all of his training was done by the union. The union's going to give you, you know, three or four years of training in some very specific industry accepted standards, but they're not going to give you specialized training. Like you're not going to go from the union and then you go to work and, and let's say a contractor's got a helicopter job and just say, well, lineman's a lineman, get up there and just work off the skid or, or we'll, you know, we'll do human external cargo with you. It doesn't work that way. That's a very specialized type of training or a lineman comes out of the hall, can you do lead splices? Or can you even do underground cable splices? Have you ever been on a crew that's done that? They try the best they can. So in my opinion, the training could be a lot better, especially for guys that aren't within a utility system that has a, has a regimented training where the people are going to stay eight, nine, 10, or their entire career because contractors bounce around. So what I see is a lot of these guys, they bounce from job to job and there's an expectation that you're a journeyman, you should know how to do this. When point of fact, it may not be true. Sure, no, I can definitely see that. And then now you're working as a consultant, you're helping utilities to improve their lineman training programs. Can you talk about how they're training linemen on Hurtman Rescue currently? So the Hurtman Rescue is just your basic, just look at the rodeo. It's lay your tools out, um, 
there's two or three people watching you. The pole is in pristine condition because they're brand new poles that were set for the event. The dummy is, is positioned in such a way that, uh, you know, you have a clear access up and there's nothing underneath. There's no telecom, no secondary, there's no underbuilt to get in your way. And um, I just see the same, same routine that goes on, you know. The, the, the issue is like at the Lyman's Rodeo, when, when I was competing, we would use 45 foot poles. So that's a good climb, you know. Um, in some events, they're 40 foot poles. At some utilities I've gone to, they've used just 35 or 30 foot poles. So it's not very realistic as far as the training. It's more of, unfortunately, it's a check the box. Do you know how to do a hurt man rescue? Well, yeah. So you so there's um, uh, let's say that there's three methods for a pole top rescue. The first method is the traditional one where you already have the hand line hanging. It's in perfect position. You run up there. You take the hook. You know you you throw the uh, the snap over the arm, tie the dummy off, drop the shiv, take one more wrap, cut the dummy, let them go. Okay, it's it's maybe the easiest way to perform that task because there's an existing cross arm. So that's method one. Method two is the screwdriver method where they there's no cross arm up there. So they drive a screwdriver in, they take the hand line and wrap it around over the top, rig off the, the hurt man rescue uh, mannequin, and then they lower them down. So that's called the, the screwdriver or, you know, the pull top method, the bear pull top. And there's the other one with the ox block, where the ox block is being used as the rescue device itself. You can just you can just take the, the the hook and the snap and wrap it around the man, and then you just take three wraps around the uh, actual ox block itself. You can cut into them and let them down. So those are the three methods that that I've seen on uh, pull top where you're climbing. And then the other one is just a basic generic um, guys hurt in a bucket truck. So they elevate the truck up and um, uh, you, you're given a time, you have to uh, ascend onto, you have to step up onto the platform. You have to rotate the, uh, the bucket over. You have to bring the, uh, the, lower, uh, the lower half uh, of, the, uh, of the boom up. And then you have to drop the upper half and then what you're going to do on one method is you're going to use a set of blocks that are attached to the boom. You're going to open it up. You're going to hook it to the to the man's D ring, and you're going to pull him out of there, push his legs over the side, and let him down. And then the other method is you actually get the bucket down to the ground, and you pull the pin, and you can dump the bucket and pull the man out. So that's the basic two two areas that uh, the two methods. We're doing the uh, bucket truck rescue. So what are the things that I see? It's, it's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. it, um, you know, for one thing, in my opinion, you should never, ever have a lineman working live line voltage or be in proximity to, of the minimum approach distance of energized live lines up there by himself. You know, when you go up and you're working in, in proximity of energized conductor, you know, you need to uh, obey the minimum approach distance, which is fine, but you shouldn't be up there doing uh, energized work by yourself. So to me, that's, that's a no-no. And we can improve on that by just making that the rule. You won't be up in proximity to that, to doing that. 
too many things can go wrong. Um, the other thing is I see a lot of companies, they say, well, he's in an insulated bucket. So he can go up there and I can tell you right now, I've seen more than enough guys that are that are up there doing live line work by themselves in a bucket. And what you should do, the industry accepted standard, and it, it has been this way for years, as, as far as when I came through, is two men working live line with a qualified observer on the ground at a minimum, because uh, you have to have two guys watching as you're performing that work. You shouldn't be going hands-on unless there's another set of eyes in proximity to you, not just relying on the guy on the ground. I think that there needs to be some changes as far as, hey, what if you, in real life, if a guy made contact on the pole, he should have a pole partner up there. So why not start the time then? They're already up in the work position. Why are you, why are we training guys to climb up a pole to rescue a guy who's up there? We should probably rethink that because if we, if we changed it, then maybe companies would say, okay, is that our policy to have guys up there by themselves? And, and if it's just a check the box, I can go up there and rescue a dummy. It's really not, it's not um, beneficial. And the other thing is, would I really have one guy in the bucket truck doing the work? You know, because the other thing is, is we're not just talking about electrical contact. You don't know. The person may have an allergy. They may have a heart condition, some comorbidities or, or something that, that would not be an electrical contact. So, you know, um, there's other things that you have to think about. Um, the four to six minute method, you know, time frame is based on electrical contact and the heart is not working and you've got to get that heart working. So what are the things that have changed? In the old days, they would start CPR on the pole. Hmm. I mean, you know, the famous photo of Rocky Morabito took of uh -huh. uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning one where the, the apprentice is giving the lineman, you know, mouth to mouth on the pole. That, we don't do that. We haven't done that in years. It's you've got to get them down to the ground. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a change in the methodology. There has to be maybe some nuances added to your hurt man rescue training to make it more challenging. And uh, that the rescue should be discussed every day in your tailboard. It doesn't have to be 15 to 20 minutes. It just has to be these guys are going to be doing the work. This is our rescue plan if anything happens this is who's going to call 911 all the staging everything should be included every day um, in your tailboard once you do that the whole goal is not to be great at the rescue it's to be great at not having to do the rescue is really the thing is the preemptive you know the hazard elimination that, that's where i stand and what i see in in, in the industry Sure. And can you talk, uh, Max, about the importance of a swift response in a hurt man rescue? I mean, in your article, you say that brain cells will die in about four to six minutes without circulating blood and carrying oxygen to it. How can Lyman um, expedite hurt man rescue, do you think, in an emergency situation? Sure. So let's say that there's two guys going into a backyard. You've spread out your crew. And one... It, you can never, ever have a guy go up a pole unless the guy on the ground can actually perform that rescue or there's somebody close by that they can alert. The problem with that is, depending on the size of the pole, the height, I mean, if you got a guy, it's one thing if he's on a 35 or a 40 foot pole to, to ascend 
but what if he's on a 60 or a 70 foot pole, right? And you're going to have to climb. What's your plan for that? Well, you know, the other, the other uh, issues you have to run into is multiple uh, facilities on a pole. I mean, I've got here, I can walk around my neighborhood and there's phone, there's, you know, there's fiber optic. And I've seen as much as seven to eight levels. And then there's secondary. And then you, know, you have services and secondary before you even get to the top of the pole. So the biggest issue that I've seen is we don't free climb anymore. We used to be trained on how to go through those. There was a climbing hole. We could literally run up that pole as if it was a bare pole. Nowadays, you're wearing a wood pole fall restriction device. And every level, you have to be secured to the pole. So you get up to the first level. Let's say that the first level is 18 feet above the ground. And you've got a 55-foot pole. And now you've got several levels. Well, you're going to unbelt and belt maybe three or four times. How long is that going to take? for you to get up there and then start your, start your rescue. The other thing is, is did you have your tools laid out at the bottom of the pole? See, if you're going to go out and do work and you're expected to do uh, a rescue, what happens if you, the guy on the ground leaves his tools in the truck, somebody comes in, drives off with the truck and you're stuck there. Okay. So whether you have a cell phone or whether you're using the radio is your uh, communication method at the company. Um, these are all factors that, that have to be um, talked about and discussed. I, I, in my opinion, four to six minutes is, is good. It's good in the fact that if all things are perfect, you can get that guy down and you can start CPR and first aid. But if anything else happens or the configuration construction of the pole isn't a good construction to make it easier to facilitate ascending to the top, you're going to be burning daylight. You're going to have some big issues. And, you know, with that, that heart's got to be pumping. So. So how do you think utilities can make Hurtman Rescue a little bit more realistic instead of just checking the box for refresher training? What are some other ways that they can really improve that to make it more meaningful for the, the field crews? What I would do is if I was a, a supervisor back uh, at a utility or if, or if a you know, utility asked me, I would sit down and probably spend a good half day just starting. Tell me about your rescue plans. When do you incorporate them? How often do you train on them? How often do you discuss them? So, um, you know, what number are you going to call? Because at our company, we didn't call 911. We actually called our security who had a had a a more unencumbered communication line to do that and start that rescue system in place, the rescue response. Um, let's say you're a brand new guy on the job. You have no idea. Well, where's the location? Magnetic whiteboard. Put it up there. When you're doing your tailboard, it has the location, um, you know, or the address, uh, maybe cross streets, uh, the circuit you're working on, does dispatch or, you know, system operations know what you're working on? Um, you know, do you know where the protective devices are? Like, what's the next set of cutouts if you had to go and uh, open the lineup? Or can you have system operations dump the entire circuit? If you have a brand new guy, you need to walk them through and hold their hand and explain to them what their responsibility is. Because you don't want a groundman on the ground running around and they've never been trained. They, they don't have an idea of what's going on. 
Um, and it's all about communication and saying, look, in our geographic location, we have, I don't know, let's say 10%, 30% of the poles are in backyards, no access. How will we make it safer? Well, maybe we just take down the fence and we, we bring back a, you know, a, a backyard digging machine that you can put a bucket onto and you can do that work there. Again, those are single man buckets. So you really don't want to be doing energized live land work out of that by yourself. Now, if you have a guy in the pole, what's your procedure? Does your procedure allow one guy in the bucket, one guy in the pole to do live line work? You have to look at all of your policies and procedures and say, okay, let's make it perfect. Let's let's just build the most perfect thing. And don't worry about money for now. But the money is on the sideline. Let's build a perfect rescue plan and how we communicate that to our troops and how we train them. And if you get to that point, then you're going to see not only a change in that one specific area of hurt man rescue, but of everything that they do. Because if, if your supervision says, we will spare no expense to make sure our people are safe and go home every night, then you got to, when you talk the talk, you better walk the walk and, and uh, listen to them and call other people and find out. that I do that with, uh, with my clients, with my contractors, with the utilities that, that hire me. You know, I do everything as, as to the utmost that I can to ensure their safety. Whether they follow my lead or not is up to them. And Max, have you ever personally had to rescue um, a coworker off a pole using Hurtman Rescue or served as an expert witness in a case um, that involved Hurtman Rescue? And what was that like for you? And how did that kind of change your view on safety? You know, I've been fortunate. I've never, ever had to rescue anyone off a pole. I mean, I, I think I once, once or twice have had to let people down off of a pole in the training yard because they were they were hurt or there was, you know, they were at a point where they couldn't physically perform. So either me or one of my instructors or I was the instructor had to go up and, and you know, wrap them up and, and let them down. But, but nothing in, I've never had a catastrophic event in the field where I've had to do a rescue like that. Yeah. And, and I haven't had any cases uh, that required uh, a rescue like that. I've had cases where there's electrical contact, but it didn't require a hurt man rescue. And then um, in the article, you talk about the importance of the, even the supervisors and the foreman staying physically fit in case they have to perform hurt man rescue. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So what happens is, um, let's say you're a foreman and your job classification, your essential job functions aren't, you're performing the work every day. Your job is to run the crew, to lead and direct to um, take care of the administrative, to, to, to be the leader, right? You're leading and directing. You're not involved in the day-to-day -day operations of actually physically performing the work. You're not climbing every day. One of the biggest things you have to be concerned about is uh, if the foreman on the crew is required to meet certain uh, standards, like they have to be able to perform a hurt man rescue. Well, imagine you've been a foreman for 15 years and you, know, you do a hurt man rescue once a year and the other thing is 15 years ago, you know, let's say you've gained 15 to 20 pounds. You know, that's, that's hard on the body. And if you're not climbing every day, are you putting yourself at risk if you're the one that has to perform that rescue? And this goes to another thing that I'm always telling linemen. I said, look, at my age, I'm 62. I retired in really good health. There's been wear and tear in my body, but I always took care of myself. I watched my diet. I worked out. 
and I have a great life in retirement. And that's, that's what you should be striving for, is to always have your health and be physically fit to perform that work. Even if you're a, for, if you're a foreman, there's going to be a point where you're exposed to the elements. You're out there walking around. You're, you're, you're going to see somebody that needs help. You're going to jump in there and do those things. If you're not taking care of yourself, you're more at risk for, you know, having some kind of uh, ailment, illness, uh, injury, uh, let alone a hurt man rescue, which you may not ever have done, have to do in a career, but you have to certify once a year. Mm-hmm. And now let's say you're, you don't climb every day. You put on five pounds. Does your belt fit? Can you actually, can you find your tools? <laughs> so a lot of times the foreman, uh, imagine the foreman's, you know, he leaves his tools in, in the truck and, you know, somebody says, Hey boss, can I borrow the truck to go somewhere? And now you got to do a foreman's, you know, hurt man rescue and you got no tools. So Physical preparedness, it's called GPP, general physical preparedness, is essential in this line of work. And then do you have any other comments about how utilities can improve refresher training for their linemen? Sure. Uh, Refresher training, uh, the issue you run in with refresher training is a lot of times it's bundled and they throw the kitchen sink at it, which a lot of times utilities have no choice because you can't pull so many people out of the workforce to to do those kinds of things. But refresher training should be things like, hey, are, are there any new ru- rules and regulations that, that, that we've come up with? Like, do we need certain certification? Do we have guys that are trained as crane operators to, uh, to run a 150 foot aerial lift device that's, that's that little bit more certification? Are we using, uh, are we doing different types of splices? Did, did, did the company bring in more or a different manufacturer for their cable. So we've gone from, you know, cross-link polyethylene to just rubber. Do we know how to do we know how to make those splices? Did we put in distribution automation? So we've got all of this smart grid in there and we've never trained for it. So you need to look at your entire infrastructure and go, what's new? What isn't? What are we getting rid of? Are our standards up? And then um it should be a combined effort between engineering design and the line department and supervision. And they should be talking all the time, scheduled meetings, overhead, underground. There should be committees and subcommittees set up to where alignment would know why an engineer is buying a certain product. And then it goes rolled out in the field and they go, we can't make it work because no one ever talked. So you have to have an interagency discussion and there has to be involvement by everybody, all of the stakeholders. And then anything that's changed or new, you have to roll it into that refresher training and take them out for a week and go through. You could go through rigging, live line work. You can recertify them in rubber gloving and maybe some hot sticking if they're doing that, cable splicing, terminations. Um, how does this smart grid work? I'll tell you, one of the biggest improvements in safety that I've seen is uh, utilizing tablets for the tailboards. I mean, because you have access to the GIS system, the location, uh, you can document, uh, and let's face it, a lot of guys don't have very good handwriting. As I tell you, I, when I get some of my cases and they can go back five or six years and I said, show me the tailboard and I can't read anything. Yeah. Check the box. And so it's not legible. So for me, every company that's doing, uh, 
T&D work in, in, in our field should be using a, a laptop or a tablet and everything should be electronically documented. And that will make a, a huge difference. But continual training, new technology, reinforcement of good work practices and um, coaching and mentoring. That's one of the one of the things, uh, my, one of my biggest requests. So I've been doing that for this this last year, this year, and I have, uh, you know, contractors calling me up and asking me to provide that training as far as leadership development. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's it's ever changing, but, you know, it's a good thing. Well, Max, thank you for sharing your experiences with Hurt Man Rescue Training with our Line Life podcast listeners. Thank you for all you do to keep line workers safe in the field. To learn more, you can read Max's article in the May 2022 Electric Utility Operations section of TND World Magazine. This episode of the Line Life Podcast was written and recorded by Annie Fishbach. It was produced by John Doberstein. Please follow the show to be updated when new episodes are released and leave a review for us on Apple Podcast. Head to the show description to see where you can find us on social media as well. You can also send us an email or voice memo to linelifepodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and thank you for listening to the Line Life Podcast.